The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. I am back. This is episode 25, the Dear Diary edition and I'm going to start this, I guess, with the part of the show where I beg forgiveness, of course, for missing the week prior. You know, I actually told myself when I started this podcast, I told myself I'm going to remain consistent. I'm never going to miss a beat. Well, I did miss a beat last week and unfortunately ran out of time to do a podcast at all with everything else going on. And so, unfortunately, some of the notes I'd even put together are now kind of out of date. So I'm not even going to use some of the stuff I put together last week. We're going to kick it off fresh, but... Do apologize if you're keen to ask a question for the show, by all means. Uh, the other week we had a question around missed opportunities. I thought that was a really good question. You can shoot those kind of things through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. I love answering questions or talking about topics you might be interested in, so let me know. Uh, but I mean this with the utmost, utmost respect. Thankfully, we do not have any questions this week as there is a lot to cover. There's too much to cover, really, and it was a big week for company news on the market that is for certain plenty of asx reporting to touch on in this week's episode and if you're new to the podcast and i say that because i have seen a recent bump of sort of some new listeners over the last few weeks but we're right in the middle of what's called reporting season here in australia so this episode will probably stay focused on australia but before we jump into some specific company stuff we'll talk about what the indices did this week what the market did here in australia and the u.s And then we'll do a little take on some sort of more broader economic news around unemployment that I thought was worth updating on. But first, let's start with the markets. The ASX 200 was down slightly. I mean, you could say it's, I guess, flat, but it was down 0.2%. The S&P 500 over in the US was actually up 0.7%. And the NASDAQ had an even better week. They were up about 2.7%. So that's how the markets went for the week that was the week just ended but like i said one of the first things we're going to check in is some more sort of broader economic stuff and i'm going to stay in the u.s there and probably the first thing worth worth checking in on uh, is the u.s labor market right now so still not great about a couple weeks ago we saw july job numbers come in for investors to digest and the economy in the u.s added 1.8 million jobs in july remember that is down from about the 4.8 million that they added in June. So it appears the sort of jobs coming back or jobs being added is slowing down. But more importantly, those kind of numbers are very historic in their own sense, meaning it is very unusual for months of uh, to have like millions of jobs come back or be added in a single month. So that's uh, worth noting there. And I think, but the point that's kind of, the point that sort of underlies this is it's all bouncing back off a very, very low base because in total, the economy has lost you know, 23, at least 23 million jobs throughout the last couple months alone. And so adding 1.8 million back in a month is a lot, yes, but coming off the low base always kind of sounds like a lot, you know. If they've still got a, they've still got a, some ground to cover there uh, in the US, they're only about 42% of the way they were in terms of progress gained back on what they've already lost. I think the funniest thing I saw on this point, there was a reply to a tweet made by Vice President Mike Pence in the US. And he basically tweeted that, 
you know, these job gains of the last couple of months are, are record-breaking. And he's right, like there's never been that many numbers added back to the added to the economy, but they're not so much jobs being created as much as they are people who were temporarily laid off and just returning back to the job they were temporarily laid off from. So it's not like, yeah, anyway. But someone replied with like, yeah, well, the Titanic set a record for the number of lifeboats that it that it sent out into the ocean when it was sinking because it's kind of like, you know, it doesn't really tell the whole story by talking about those those jobs coming back. So yeah, very vulnerable economy very vulnerable labor market. Not that it's not that it's like way better here in Australia. We're of course going through our own problems, but even more recently, this only came out in the last 24 hours in the US and I'm quoting a CNBC article here. So for the uh, first time claims for state unemployment benefits have ticked up again. So this is the weekly measure of first time state unemployment benefits. They've actually been on a bit of a downslope over the last few weeks, but they tick, ticked back up to about $1.1 million for the week. Uh, so 1.1 million people, not dollars. A US national unemployment is still quite high. So it did drop to 10.2% from 11.1% the month prior. But the concern now is, do you get everyone that lost a job back to work? And are some of those job losses going to be permanent? Because it certainly seems uh, so. And But that is a narrative that's kind of always brought up during slowdowns and recessions. That's goes back 100 years, uh, even to the Great Depression, there was talk of, you know, how much do jobs, certain certain jobs even come back at all. And for contents, the employment rate of 10.2% in the US is still higher than the worst that their unemployment rate ever got during the global financial crisis of the GFC. And so back to just talking on the whole, that narrative regarding permanent job losses, this is definitely a thing because of a pandemic and I'm just quoting a Politico article here, but this the data that they're sourcing comes from the US Labor Department. And basically, so the vast majority of unemployed people uh, who are temporarily laid off far exceeds you know any permanent job losses. But the number for permanent job losses did hit just under 2.9 million people as of June. And they've actually sort of creeped up to that number. So they haven't actually slowed down yet. So still looking pretty bad and that's a, that's a lot of people that where there's like permanent job losses in terms of COVID-19 because obviously that's driving all this economic destruction but daily new cases in the US are on about a three and seven day moving average downwards so that there, there is a bit of positive news there in terms of daily new cases compared to where we were maybe a few weeks ago daily deaths still a little bit concerning the US they're still holding somewhat steady they're still having days where they're peaking above the thousand dollars I keep saying dollars, a thousand people per day. But I think the big one of the big issues in the US right now is sort of lack of movement regarding further economic stimulus. And we've spoken about how certain programs in the US or initiatives like, say, rental eviction moratoriums or the payroll protection program, the PPP, they finished or are finishing now. And Congress itself is very stalled. Uh, both parties, Republicans and the Democrats, are butting heads on sort of what comes next. And I mean... Most pundits seem to think that it will come. It's more just a matter of when. It's just kind of scary that they let a lot of this stuff just run its course to an end and now it's gone. And so everyone's kind of waiting to see if they're going to bring stuff back and when and for how much. And you might have heard that Trump himself signed an executive order on some things to sort of bypass the, the Congress there. But one of the, And one of the big things he's talked about is a payroll tax break. 
So what that is, is you as an employee, you pay tax out of your earnings towards uh, like future Medicare, uh, so Medicare taxes, social security taxes, and the employer themselves match that as well. The issue with this, I guess, uh, from Trump is that this that kind of program doesn't help you if you don't have a job. You know, so like that only sort of helps employees and employers to an extent. But if you're out of a job already, that's not going to help you. Also, this isn't actually a waiver of those taxes. It's it's literally a kick the bucket down the road for the problem. So as in they're still going to have to cough up those taxes, those employers and employees. Uh, it's just that they won't have to do it now. They'll just do it later. So in the end, anyway, so I, I don't know how helpful that's going to be. It's going to have to take something a bit more from that from Congress to actually put a bit more positivity into the economy there. But we'll jump back home. Here in Australia, unemployment sits at around 7.5% according to the ABS labor force. Although our treasurer, he said that the true unemployment rate is likely double that. And the true unemployment rate being what we measure as the current unemployment rate plus those on like government subsidies like JobKeeper right now. So he, he's sort of saying that the true unemployment rate would be much higher, of course, if we didn't have some of those programs in place. But when the ABS did a bit of a release recently, there was some other insights worth touching on. And I think one of those points is sort of talking about underemployment and underutilization, right? So un- unemployment, as I said, that's at 7.5%. So it is, and yes, it's technically higher, but let's say it's 7.5%. Underemployment, which refers to people who are employed, but what would actually want to work more hours, that's at 11.2%. So then you have what's called underutilization, which is those unemployed people plus those underemployed people, and you combine it together. So that's 18.7% at the moment, so quite high. And it's kind of been something that Reserve Bank governor has sort of talk to in terms of like don't just look at the unemployment rate on face value look at things like underemployment look at how much like loss of hours worked and underutilization so they're going to sort of be telling a bit truer of a story of you know how what the shape the economy or the labor market in uh, is in in Australia so yeah worth worth following there but I'm going to jump into some company news now I did touch it has been a busy week I'm not even going to get to all the kind of news there's so much out there I had to sort of pick and choose and I mean, it was a bit of a struggle to sort of decide what to talk about because the fact that I even missed an episode last week has only made that problem worse because there's been even more news that's come out this week. So I'm not going to de- deep dive too hard onto any of these companies. But yeah, like I said, I'll, let's talk about Treasury Wide Estate. They were actually the, <laughs> they were actually the worst performing stock this week. I think they were the worst performing in the ASX 200 alone. So Treasury Wide Estate, makers of Penfolds, Maybe my listeners are more familiar with their $5 bottles of Wolf Blast on sale at BWS, but it has been a struggle for Treasury Wine Estate as of late. So the the worst part of their business has, well, at least not this is pre this is going back pre-COVID, but the US side of their business. So I think it's mostly the sort of the West Coast of the US, that side of their business. That's been even worse during this sort of lockdown period because you've got like you know, restaurants in the US closed and people cutting back on expenses. And so... But that side of their business has struggled for a long time against uh, US-based competitors. The big bang for buck in Treasury Wine Estate has always, always been China. Not always, sorry, but it has been China lately, especially over the last few years. That Chinese appetite for Australian produce, especially Australian wine, is very, very high. And for perspective, 
on sort of how important that is, I guess, for Australia in terms of our, all our winemakers. So Australian winemakers export about $1.2 billion in wine to China annually. And that's about 42% of all wine exports from Australia to the world. So by far our biggest consumer of wine. And I flagged that information because I mentioned that TWE or Treasury Wine Estate had the worst week on the market uh, in the ASX 200 this week. And it actually wasn't because of their reporting numbers. They've already reported to the market their numbers for the financial year and they weren't super great. But the issue this week and why they dropped so hard has more come from the Chinese government. So the CCP has announced an anti-dumping investigation into Australian wine and that's come off the back of they've apparently received complaints from their local wine industry in China that we, as in we as in Aussie wine exporters like TWE, are pricing our exports at a significant reduction to the sort of fair market value in China, which would be considered sort of like an unfair way to do business because you're kind of undercutting heavily against local competition. And that's even more so if if your product is even superior to, to local competition potentially. So, And you've seen this dumping word talked a lot because we've been talking about sort of trade stuff with China for a long time or in this year, especially in terms of us and China, you've seen, remember, barley and, and iron ore and things like this. But So we'll talk about what dumping means. So like when a government has like what's called an anti-dumping duty, it's basically a tariff. So it's a tax that they're putting on imports that are coming in to the country. So I'm going to give a, a very simplistic example, but let's say I'm a farmer and I grow carrots in Australia, okay? And so I can obviously sell my carrots to local farmers markets or to Woolworths and Coles and all that kind of stuff, right? But let's just say an American carrot grower starts um, exporting their carrots into Australia, but that American carrot grower is getting some like heavy government subsidies and all this kind of stuff from the US government. And so they're able to send their carrots over into Australia at a, a way cheap, like half the price of my homegrown carrots here, right? The, yeah, I'm going to turn around and say, hang on, that's not fair. Like, I'm just getting edged out of the market here because, you know, Woolworths are going to turn around and go, oh, we'll just buy these carrots for cheaper. Yeah, we may as well just got to get these ones. So that's kind of like what an, what dumping is in terms of governments will put a tariff on a good if they're coming in at sort of a price that is sort of below the fair market value just to make it sort of, I guess, even or competitive against their local domestic market that that they as a government obviously want to protect and and ensure can survive against sort of international competition. So that's why you've seen the Treasury Wine Estate share price fall this week. It started Monday at like $12.55, I think, on Monday, and it ended the week at like $9.91. So very, very much a bit of a rough one for Treasury Wine Estate shareholders in the last couple of weeks. But let's keep moving. I don't want to stay too long in one place. Let's talk about let's talk about Domino's because I think we all thought this was going to be a good time for Domino's. And it, and it was. They've been very much under the pump since COVID. And they're a company that is doing the opposite of many other businesses, which is they are expanding through the crisis. And I think the biggest point of interest I got here was how positive and significant their Japanese market was or is, sorry, because I didn't even know this. But during the final financial year that just ended, Domino's opened 75 stores in Japan alone and their long-term plan is to actually, in terms of number of stores, uh, Japan might long-term be their, their biggest market. 
Now, if looking back, say, to their Australian New Zealand side of the business, they did see sales growth. So they have done well in terms of sales over this period, but that's their sort of overall earnings fell back because they had to spend a lot of money, probably more than a lot more than they'd ever planned because on sort of COVID-19 protection, you know, like buying PPE and they had to spend a lot of money on that stuff. So that's why their overall earnings did fall back. But, you know, in, in for the most part, Domino's is a business that's in a similar way to like a Kogan. They're already set up for success under the sort of circumstances of 2020. But overall, a pretty good result for Domino's. A lot of this success that they talked about in their, their annual report was kind of already priced into the shares. They did get a bit of a bounce on the news. But for context, context, dominoes are actually up about 58% since the start of the calendar year. So, um, yeah, somewhat expected, I guess, from, from investors and shareholders there. But, all right, what's next? I might, bang, I might go from bad, good, bad, good. Let's go bad again. So, okay, Sydney Airport, a favorite over the years of dividend investors. In some ways, I guess, kind of like a utility, very safe, very but very vulnerable to the current climate, as you can imagine. And now... This isn't a surprise. I mean, if, I mean, if anything, I'm actually surprised that their share price has held at the levels that it's been at over the last few months, because I just assumed that they don't not getting much traffic right through their airport. But yes, they've had a they've had a shocker of a year. They reported a 51.8 million dollar loss for the interim. But probably some of the interesting points I found from their results and commentary was less about the financial results. Like I'm not going to going about that stuff but it was because we everyone knew it was going to be a shocker and we knew that they weren't going to pay a dividend but their commentary around traffic in the airport was really interesting so and i'm taking some of this from an afr article dated august 11th but sydney airport had 44 million passengers pass through in 2019 so the 2019 calendar year now in 2020 the january to march quarter saw about 9 million people pass through it and then April to May, only 400,000. So, and then f- the other thing was freight flights. So they are 70% of all plane traffic going in and out of Sydney airport right now. And normally flight, freight traffic is 2% of all air traffic in Sydney airport. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, it's not a good time for them. But and so more bad news is that they've talked about how they can't guarantee keeping staff because there might be some job losses um, sort of coming up after September. And the company did announce a big $2 billion equity raising. And for a company that's worth, well, its market cap is $12 billion. That's certainly a very big raising. I guess a silver lining for shareholders on this one is unlike many other cap raisings across this period. This is what's called a fully renounceable right, which means that if you don't want to take part in the capital raising as a shareholder, uh, you can actually sell your right on the market for some cash. So now I'm not going to say that that's going to help you fully heal the pain there from a bit of dilution that you're going to see, but that's that's a lot better than nothing. And that's a lot better than many other shareholders of different companies uh, got during their cap raising. So at least you're able to sort of say, well, no, I don't want to participate, but at least I can make a bit of money off selling my rights there. Okay, if we're going if we're going bad, good, bad, good, let's, we're going to finish on a good and we're going to finish on a company that's doing quite well at the moment. I don't think I've even spoke about this company on the podcast before, and that is Goodman Group. It's one of those ones where people say, I've never heard of them, and because <laughs> they kind of, in some ways, they're a, bit, they're a bit boring, but what they're in, they're in the property and real estate business, but specifically, they are in commercial warehouse games. So 
you know, where some sort of real estate companies on the markets, especially the ones that say own big shopping malls, they are not having a great time at the moment. It's a very, very good time to be in the warehouse game because, you know, e-commerce has continued to get stronger and stronger over the years. Um, This is before COVID, right? But 2020 and COVID has just put a bloody match under that too. So it's really pushed along to be even stronger as well. And I I think I saw the CEO of Kogan, he actually said that due to COVID, he thinks that in-store shopping will never go back to where it was. Like he thinks there's been like permanent damage there or a permanent shift there in the way that Australians shop. But then I saw the JB Hi-Fi CEO saying that he thinks it will return back to what it was once everything settles. It's in their respective interest to say that. Um, So you'd probably take it with a bit of a grain of salt. But no doubt e-commerce is still becoming a bigger uh, part of shopping overall in, in the world, let alone Australia. So for Goodman, Goodman Group, they, they're probably their famous, their key client uh, that they have is Amazon. Now, Amazon is operating here in Australia and it's been very good for Goodman. Most recently, I think it was only a couple of months ago, Amazon announced a big expansion where they're going to uh, build a new, for, uh, or have a new fulfillment center in Sydney. You might've even seen that on the news and that, that, property that site that warehouse is actually a goodman group property so that's where they sort of make their their bang for buck from and apparently this actual site it's going to be one of those ones that have all those crazy amazon robots running around so if you've never actually jumped on like youtube or whatever and and you can look up like you can see these really advanced us amazon warehouses where you see thousands and thousands of robots just scooting around with like packages across this warehouse and this warehouse might be like you know 20 football fields in size it's yeah it's something to see definitely definitely worth checking out but that's the kind of thing that they're going to build out i think in western sydney from memory but yeah that's a goodman group site so that's kind of what they do so very good time to be a shareholder there they've actually forecasted to their shareholders that they expect operating profit to lift almost 10 percent in the in this new financial year so they are obviously very bullish on the sort of the wind staying in their favor for the time being but that was another one that, uh, that, I, that I thought might be worth checking in on. Wow, time has gone very quickly. That is it for this week. I hope you did enjoy the show. Maybe next week I'll just do some reporting season highlights and stay away from maybe some of the economic news. But hopefully, as always, you found the episode insightful. Maybe I'll do like a speed round where I'll just list the companies and then I'll just play you know sound clips of like reactions to like basically summarize how their results were to the market i don't know but uh as always enjoy your weekend enjoy your week my name is dion grubin this is the market pulse podcast and i will catch you on the next episode definitely confirmed to be next week see you later